welcome back to another episode of the Interjections Podcast. We've been doing something called the Undiscovered Decade, where we look back at all the movies from the 1990s, and we've been taking it month by month. And uh, this month, we're going through uh, June 1990, and we're looking at a very colorful film, one that I did not expect to be as bright uh, but there is a good reason for that. Um, Warren Beatty, the director and star, had a particular penchant for uh, detail, and uh, he was looking at making the film Dick Tracy, finally adapting the comic for the big screen. So um, we want to start off with like thoughts. I mean, I have the uh, plot to go through. We could just start from the beginning. Yeah, um, I remember seeing this in the theater and this was like kind of couched in with a, uh, seemed to be a trend that they were, before now superhero movies are being adapted at an alarming rate, but back then um, it seemed to be mostly period piece comic book movies because you had this, you had the Phantom and you had the Shadow. Yeah. Uh, kind of around the mid nineties. Yeah, um, even Darkman seemed like in that trend. Right. Yeah. I don't know if that was actually a comic beforehand. I don't think it was. Hmm. I think that's an original IP. Yeah. I mean, it could have been expired, uh, expired, inspired by those uh, uh, source materials. Yeah. It definitely was. Yeah. You can tell it's very film noirish. And so is this. A lot of the uh, the silhouettes and everything in this movie, you can tell were probably taken from a lot of Humphrey Bogart movies from that time period that it's set. but uh, for people who don't know about Dick Tracy, the uh, comic, uh, it started in ni- the 1930s and it was a series of detective stories. And uh, he famously wore the uh, yellow jacket and fedora. And um, no, guess, monkey, though. no, no monkey. No, <laughs> curious, George. But um, yeah, I kept thinking that throughout the movie. I'm like, oh, there's, it's weird that they don't reference each other. But it's funny that you brought up the fact that. Uh, Warren Beatty's kind of painstaking attention to detail because he is kind of known in the industry as a perfectionist. And you can tell with every frame of this movie, every frame of this movie is dazzling. There's a lot of, in fact, there's a great composite shot towards the beginning where they, they push in on, um, uh, was it big boy Caprice's, uh, club. Yeah. And it, and it's clearly, it's a live action shot within a, a matte painting but it looks amazing. It's seamless. Oh yeah, no, like I was wowed by it. And like, I even like mentioned to Tristan, yeah. like, holy crap, that like looks so much better than any CG crap that we got going on today. Yeah. Right exactly. yeah. it, it was just like, kind of just like, wow-tacular. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Apparently it was uh, before CGI started taking over those sort of yeah. things. And that's why it has that realistic look because it takes longer to do that. And he was willing to take the time. And it was like one of the last painting like blockbuster yeah. movies to have a background just as a painting, I guess not yeah. painting other than throwing in CGI. Um, but as far as like the color scheme alone to go with the noir, um, like all of the, the villains and everything are these primary colors just based on those are the colors that were available when the comic strip was being printed. Yeah. So like that level of detail yeah so you basically have the six main colors you know yellow red blue green purple orange so 
There's definitely and on, on top of that, in terms of the villains, the makeup for each of the villains is very distinctive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, obviously, you know that Big Boy is played by Al Pacino once you hear his voice and the bellowing, but the makeup to make him look like that is terrific. Everybody has a kind of like a Abe Hirschfeld caricature look to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, especially like characters like even ancillary characters like Little Face mm-hmm. and Prune yeah. Face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But this is like peak Pacino right here. Yeah. Like, it was, this has got to be the, the angriest I've ever seen him in any movie. The funniest thing is we started uh, when, when he first appears. And uh, actually, particularly uh, when he rounds up all the other villains, it reminded me of his performance in The Irishman, which he does 30 years later, uh, just trying to unionize and, and he's very aggressive and there's just uh, a charisma about him despite his anger. Uh, it's, it is peak Pacino. Yeah. And I wonder if he still has that prosthetic kicking around because he, he actually designed his own makeup for that. Like all, the, yeah, all the villains, like everything else, was based on exactly how the characters looked in the in the comic strip, except for Big Boy's makeup. It was apparently like he was the big fat guy with a tiny little nose, and uh, Pacino just went with the opposite direction, but it still worked because it was still like he still has that cartoony. Um, you know, over-exaggerated features, but it was, it gave him the ability to do his Pacino thing. More emotion. High, right. It yeah. was more, you could be more expressive with that. I think Most the person that looks the most like their uh, comic book counterpart is Flat Top. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Flat Top is uncanny. And that's uh, William top. Forsyth, right? William Forsyth, yeah. yeah. And I don't know, I mean, even beneath that makeup, you wouldn't recognize him. Mm-hmm. It, it's, he, he's completely a chameleon under that makeup. Yeah, I immediately had to look up who it was because I had no idea. I recognize I, other people, obviously. but I think um, in terms of casting, it was really smart. I know it's kind of a vanity project in a way, but it was smart for Warren Beatty to cast himself in the lead because you kind of need somebody who's a little... I don't want to say bland, but a little more colorless and square mm. to hold the movie and ground it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there are so many things just about that. Apparently, this movie had been tried to be made countless times, um, yeah, I mean, including like, well, because Chester Gold, the guy that created the comic, had all these ideas to make it into a movie like right after the 66 Batman came out. But his demands were so ridiculous for the time that they're like, we're just going to shelve this for right now. And apparently after he died, his family and the estate had slightly less crazy demands. And so then they actually like it got back into production. But the, the thing with Warren Beatty was like he only... The producers asked him to direct, but he would only do it if he could play Tracy. Um, and apparently, they just did that because they couldn't find anyone else. <laughs> I also can't think of anybody else playing it. 
right there, there i know the normal it, it, rumors it, of like harrison ford and mel gibson like the big stars of the day oh, yeah. no, one, no one really signed up i don't think they would have i could see harrison ford maybe but i don't think mel gibson would have worked in that time period no but it's just it's fascinating because like just to see how many uh, other classic movies were made just because nobody wanted to work with Warren Beatty. Yeah. Like Macaulay Culkin turned down the role of the kid in order, yeah. in order to do Home Alone. Um, and Scorsese was offered to direct, but he was like, no, I'm going to do Goodfellas instead. Yeah. How crazy is that? And Tim Burton was already in production for Edward Scissorhands, so he couldn't do it. And it was just, it was this weird like runoff that you wouldn't and it's like, still, it's still a little bit of a good movie good film like it's not it's not yeah. like everyone it's not like it was poison for no crew it was just a weird scenario because it wasn't it wasn't a bad movie it was just like just a weird backstory weird. thing yeah um it was funny. Jimmy and I ourselves uh, thought who would be a good Dick Tracy if this had been made closer to uh, the actual creation of the comic. And given that he pops up pretty close to the beginning, Dick Van Dyke playing the DA, we're like, what if what if he had wanted to be Dick Tracy back when he was making his TV shows and he had the chance to like do this finally? He's like, I'll take a I'll take a minor character. I'll be in this just because I love Dick Tracy. Like it seemed like all the guys like Dick Tracy that were in it, James Caan, et cetera. Like, yeah. But I feel like he would have been a, a good square detective, yeah. you know. That's that that was useful. Well, yeah, I feel and also like, you know, it's Dick Van Dyke. He would have added a little humorous charm that's just, you know, typically Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, he's a little yeah. wry, but he's a goofball. So it, it I liked how they they fun. even deconstructed his uh his screen persona because you're like, oh, Dick Van Dyke, he's he's unimpeachable. He's Dick Van Dyke. He wouldn't yeah. play a villain, and yet they cast him as a villain in this. Yeah, and not even like a cartoonish one, just like he's corrupted. By right. Yeah. So I have to say, um, even though I know it's nepotism because they were dating at the time, I think Madonna's songs are really catchy. Yeah. Did you know that uh the the song Vogue came from the Dick Tracy soundtrack, technically. Really? Yeah, it's just an extra song on top of all the songs she works on with Sondheim to create the ones in the actual movie. Just Vogue's attached to it. So there there was no other place at first that it existed. Hmm. It yeah. later was in like collections of Madonna songs, but I didn't know that yeah. until I didn't even know there was a soundtrack that was mainly her. I I don't think I even knew. Yeah, and her, her acting was actually really good too. Like that was what was surprising. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, going back to the music, Steve, Stephen Sondheim was attached to this to write like five songs for the movie, which was also unexpected. Like this, the yeah. the, the hot shots that were involved in this movie were, were insane. Yeah, um, it's just not talked about anymore, which is the right. Crazy like any any broadway fan that likes sondheim don't really bring up dick tracy uh, yeah any any fan of warren Beatty's work is always reds you know uh, madonna is league of their own um what else is there william forsyth was kind of known at first but um pacino is godfather you know 
Yeah. Well, Pacino also did this, like, he had a pseudonym at first when he was doing really? this. Yeah, he was like, I forget what, what the actual, um, what the name was that he used, but it was like some ridiculous Italian name because he just didn't want, like he wanted to be involved, but he wanted, he didn't want to be typecast as that or whatever. Mm-hmm. So just I guess to- maybe he was worried they put his name above the title. Speaking of heavy hitters, um, Vittorio Storaro was the cinematographer, and he's coming off of a string of hits. Um, and then Milena Cananero, who'd done uh, tons of Oscar-winning films, was doing the costume. So all the monotone, monochrome uh, stuff was done by some of the best in the business. Uh, and it's just, you would never expect like this of all things to be what they work on next, you know? Yeah. I get, it looks like uh, Warren Beatty called in a lot of favors with a lot of his acting friends, because <laughs> even in uh, the fringes, if, if Jeff moved his head a little bit to the, the right or left, the person s- sitting at the head of the table there is James Kahn in a cameo. I don't think he's even billed. I don't think so. And uh, Mumbles is played by Dustin Hoffman. Kathy yeah. Bates shows up as a receptionist at the police station. Yeah, um, Catherine O'Hara is in this scene too, right right on the corner of his frame. Right. Uh, there's someone else big in here. Oh, speaking of Back to the Future from last month, James Tolkien is one of these guys. Yeah. Uh, Paul Sorvino's in it. Uh-huh. Yep. His lips manless. Yep. Well, Sorvino down down in oysters like there's no tomorrow. All right. What a, what a great role here. Right. Here, here, come come eat some food and then get whacked. Yeah, this is such a. I don't know. This, this is definitely like a comic because there's there's comic book movies and then there's comic strip movies. And this is like this this felt like golden age comics in real life. Like everything else yeah. is just like. These, these darker, grittier takes on, on characters. And this is clearly like oh. a five-year-old from 1930 made this movie. Well, the, mo- the movies that are coming out now, they've, they've figured out a formula on how to make them. So like, right. they, they know, they just, j- they just know how to make them now. Turn Whereas, them out. Yeah, turn them out. Whereas uh, this, it's like, it's, uh, you know, early 90s and then early comic book movies like you know so like yeah wild west yeah trying to figure out how to bring this to an audience so like it's strange because this is like kind of just doing it this is kind of a kid's movie but it does have some risque things in it there's a lot of innuendos associated with dick tracy's name Mm -hmm. there's a scene with uh madonna where she's wearing something very sheer that leaves nothing to the imagination at all especially if you have a high definition tv (laughs) <laughs> all right um uh but yet it when i was a kid it really appealed to me in fact i remember distinctly i saw it in the theater i loved it so much i was so excited to go to suncoast on the day of release i couldn't wait to get out of soccer practice to go pick it up and watch it again i loved it that much i hmm. I, I continue to love it hmm. i was well when we were watching this again for the podcast stuff was racing back to my memory but I must have seen it when it first came to TV, but then never again. So it was like buried deep in my psyche. I'm like, oh, right, Dustin Hoffman. Okay. And like all the colors, the boardroom scene. And I'm like, I don't, the one weird thing is I didn't remember the kid at all. 
I just remembered like Madonna singing and Pacino being campy and didn't remember Charlie Corsman with anyway. Newsies, origins. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was, I, I had never seen this movie at all. Hmm. So, like, when this was the first time I had seen it before the podcast, and like, it still holds up, but it was one of those things where, like, I had, I never, it was like, no one talked about it. No one talked about it. And it I was a no big idea hit. how many people were involved with that. Yeah. It did um, fun, too. It yeah, made over was, 100 million. And at the time, that was a lot of money. Right. It was like Warren Beatty's biggest blockbuster. Yeah. And then it just kind of got buried. Pacino even says in interviews, he's like, I don't know why it's not more beloved. Like, I really enjoyed making the movie. And now no one even remembers that I was in it. Yeah. Maybe it just got like overshadowed by like everything else that came out. Yeah. I mean, he wins his Oscar a couple movies later and Beatty kind of would take time in between films. Madonna has her music career, so that overshadowed it. So, yeah. Uh, I feel like this is one of those movies that like <clears throat> they could make into a musical and it would work. There's a lot of montage scenes. Yeah. Like when Dick Tracy's in jail and they go on the crime spree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, the the montage. Yeah, so there's a it's got more montages than Rocky Four, but uh, <laughs> they definitely have a lot of scenes just set sequences just set to the music. Yeah, yeah, so uh, yeah it could easily translate reference. to a Broadway play. Yeah, I'm surprised Sondheim didn't try to do that. I wonder if their intention was to eventually bring it to Broadway and just that kind of flopped after. Who knows what happened? I yeah. didn't see anything come up on information. Well, you got to think of like how experimental theater was in the in the '90s, anyway. Because after doing something like this, I the reason I I say that was because a lot of it reminded me of um, the Spider-Man musical, mm. like specifically all of the the characters of the villains. Like I could just see some weird ballet happening with all of these goons just running through trying to knock off Dick Tracy and this Batman in a Burberry coat just punching everyone out. Mm-hmm. Flat tops mournful ballad. Right. About how he's misunderstood. Big boy's soliloquy. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the interesting ba- the thing ballad is of big boy Caprice. I don't know. Well, funnily enough, I don't know if they could even do that because I think that Warren Beatty still retains the rights just because he produced a uh, semi sequel slash TV special in 2008, I believe, or 2011, something like that, Mm -hmm. where he got uh, Leonard Maltin, the film critic, to interview himself as Dick Tracy. And it was all just a ploy they only had to air it once, but the, in order to do that, he could retain the rights to producing any further Dick Tracy spinoffs. Because I guess he always envisioned doing a sequel. Yeah. Which still hasn't come to fruition 30 years later, so he, even, he keeps he, talking about it. He was even saying it during his last film, Rules Don't Apply, like, I just don't want to do it. And he's like 80-something now. And, um, I don't think he could be in it. He could produce it, maybe, but it probably has to be a new actor. He could be prune fate, prune face. I mean, even though he dies in the film, Dick Van Dyke could come back, technically. Yeah. You know who would be a great Dick Tracy if they did it now? 
Oh yeah, Patrick I want Warburton. Patrick Warburton. Yeah. I could see it. Yeah. Yeah. He's got that that noir voice and feel to it. Like he's got the square jaw. He's got like the whole thing going on. Didn't, John Ham maybe. John Hamm. Yeah. Didn't Warburton do a noir film? That was kind of like I think the that's woman why chaser. It's coming to mind. Yeah, yeah, the woman chaser. Yeah. So he could pull it off. I think Ham would be great though. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, I mean, he's already got the 50s and 60s vibe down. So right. Yeah. Go, Everyone's go back a couple more decades, get the 30s back. <laughs> now I want a John Ham Dick Tracy. Yeah. Oh my God. Do you guys have a favorite shot in the movie? Because I have one. Let me think. This, of this. Any of the any of the ones where he's like he's got the silhouette thing and it looks like the poster, like it looks like a cartoon. Uh-huh. Um, I was thinking in particular the scene where Big boy goes to meet uh, Dick Van Dyke in the cemetery. Graveyard, yeah, and that perspective cool. shot. Yeah. I know it's kind of simple, but the first thing that popped to mind was the last shot because I loved how they designed that bridge because that's half like the beginning where the map painting and the live action is sitting in the doorway of the bridge. So it just. Yeah, those are a neat way to cover it. Really well. Yeah. How did you feel? Did you guys know? Uh, we didn't really go through the plot, but basically, it's your traditional noir. He takes on a case because there's villains abounding. It's kind of like Batman. So all these goons that are behind Jeff are running rampant around the city. So he's trying to stop them. But um, in between all the casework, uh, Madonna is trying to seduce him as well, and he's also trying. We didn't talk about her at all. His true love, Tess Trueheart um is trying to get him to settle down but he's too married to his work i don't think she's uh, trying to get him to settle well down. she's just like trying to convince him to take a desk job yeah uh, she also doesn't want him to uh cheat on her down, which he may like, be doing yeah 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 but she seems to be okay with him like uh being dedicated to his work but she's just like maybe it's like okay you're a little too dedicated maybe a little sure. less dedication there was some real go get him tiger energy coming yeah. But uh, we didn't talk about how uh, special Glenn Headley is uh, coming off of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah. I didn't even remember she was in this. So she's she's underrated, I think, especially yeah. in those films. She's underutilized in this. But yeah, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, she's used a better effect. Yeah. But um, mm -hmm. she's the long-suffering girlfriend, that cliche. Yeah. My real question that I realized we should have gone through the plot and I did so that we could get to this point. Did you all think about who the blank was? Like, did you see it becoming who it ended up being? Oh, I did surprised me when I was a kid. Yeah. I didn't see it. I don't, I don't remember my reaction from when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't remember. But like, uh, because I, I, since I seen it when I was a kid, like seeing it again, like I know I knew who Blank Face was. Like, just mm -hmm. like, there was no surprise but um i was a little um little i guess a little confused because like uh, i expected more of a uh like a um maybe a little build up uh mm -hmm. as to like uh because but there wasn't any like there wasn't yeah. there was no like who's blank face because the yeah. entire story was focused on dealing with the uh um uh, <coughs> big guy i don't know I, I, well, yeah. I actually i got that because it was like, because you have 
the whole thing happening between Dick Tracy and Big Boy. And then there's a subplot and like there's someone who's above Big Boy and trying to sabotage everyone. And you're like, mm -hmm. so I, I throw most of the movie. I'm like, all right, who is this? But I didn't, it didn't, I didn't see it coming. Yeah, I didn't yeah. really see it coming because I didn't think like, who is this? I did. But also did. knowing that the like the character designs and everything, I just thought that it was a guy with no face. Like I, I genuinely thought right. that it was right. Yeah, as a kid, I just thought that was just another character from that rogues gallery. Yeah, right. I didn't expect That's... it to be someone we knew. I didn't yeah. think it was a disguise. In other words, yeah. right, exactly, and that's kind of what why it threw me. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and so also, it surprised me, but I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Sure, yeah. whatever. Yeah, and also the voice, just like it, it hurt. <laughs> listening to that i was like i felt like i was being strangled mm. it sounded why. like a cancer kazoo right <laughs> yeah, oh God. it was yeah. ned from south park um i briefly mentioned him but charlie cordsman was actually good despite me not remembering him from when i first saw it uh kid actors could be obnoxious but i i liked the part that he's just hungry all the time when do we eat? And he's and he's he's cute. And he's not like he helps uh, Tracy a bunch, and you believe that he would want to and can. Yeah. So it's, it's he's Robin. Refreshing, yeah. As yeah. an eight-year-old. Yeah, like a which is funny because I cool. I was I was looking this up. I didn't know which came first, Batman or Dick Tracy. Apparently, Batman was heavily based on right summer Dick Tracy. Because it came oh, out like eight years yeah, the comic. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, Batman started mm -hmm. off in, in detective comics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. and the the watch in particular would definitely be like a Batman gadget. I think yeah. he's used. Uh, actually, there's a few times in some of the later Batman movies, I believe, where he's doing uh, communicate to Alfred via yeah, like yeah. A, a watch of some. Yeah. Watch is definitely in the comics itself too. There was a Batman. lot of yeah. I mean, there then it's all the world that he had a communication device in his car. Yeah, or just those, in his right? cabin. <laughs> That's why it, it felt like yeah. you know we're getting some real Schumacher era Batman vibes. Yeah, and this was before like that garish, horrible lighting that Schumacher used mm -hmm. in his Batman movies before it became really sickening to look at. Yeah. Well, I think with yeah. uh, those uh, those Schumacher ones, like a uh, it was. 100 percent of the lighting just like being yeah the, the lighting and the colors like yeah. uh the sets whereas this and uh, dick tracy it was the sets and the costume design that gave it the color and flair and they used like you know normal lighting well, so no, it, there was, it, it came off more natural it was normal lighting but with weird colors like yeah. there wasn't a single like natural light in there yeah luckily there wasn't a lot of gels like magenta green gels mm. like there is in those schumacher movies yeah. That's something like, we were saying right as we started. He was like, "This 1930s and actual color yeah, is no, happening." It's I was I was surprised. Like, uh, I mean, granted, it's a kids family movie, so like, it's gonna be a little saturated. But like, I was taken back by the fact that like, it takes place in the 30s, and like, typically any movie that takes place in the 30s, they they tone they tone down the colors. They make it a little more muted, uh, or make make a little darker tone, give, give it a noir vibe, or like sepia tone um but this like it was just complete opposite it was like you know just saturate the hell of it and like if you were to legitimately in real life somehow manage to go back in time and go to the 30s you know, no one 
real life, it would be actually more or less that that kind of brightness. Yeah, the zoot suits and everything. Yeah. You, so like, think it's, it's all it, gray. It it's realistic in one regard, but like with our perception of what the '30s is, it seems yeah. cartoonish. But like, yeah. uh, uh, no, it's, I I just, I've thought about that for a good five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> It's probably uh, one of the actually, most appealing aspects of the movie because, yeah. you know, the story is very, you know, one of the mill noir, but so it, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of eye candy. Yeah, you know, really. Madonna uh, not included. Yeah, but, really weird thing that I just thought of. Um, my 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 grandmother is like, well, she's been dead a while now, but like she like when she died, she was like uh, close to ninety. She was I think born in nineteen eleven. 1918? Yeah, yeah. 1918. She, she was born in 1918 because I remember this was the end of the First World War. Mm. Uh, 1917, 1918. Um, and like she grew up around this era and she had uh, she had kept a lot of, like of little trinkets and had like a lot of little things from the decades. And I think I vaguely remember her like a, a couple, I don't remember seeing like certain items and then like a just not thinking much of it. And then I see uh, the set design for this movie. I'm like, oh, that reminds me of my grandmother. Cause like, you know, she probably had something from the 1930s just sitting in her room hmm. or in her drawer. And like, cause she would like, whenever I would go talk cause we lived in the same house. Uh, whenever I would go talk to her, sometimes she'd be like, oh, I want to show you this. I'm like, all right, okay. And then she shows them that and I'm like, that's pretty neat. It really is. Um, so it was just like interesting for a personal uh, perspective, hmm. with the uh, with the set design, like just, like the little little things, little details, and then like I had the experience of like holding and seeing these things, like yeah, yeah. No, it's, just like, yeah, yeah it's like, like a, nice little a lot of like yeah, it you, is. You see all these these colorized photos, and you know, it's the same feeling as when you realize that no, the past was the past wasn't totally in black and white. Like the past was just like now, but we just won't. You can't physically see that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it um, actually won the Oscar for best art direction and uh, makeup, particularly obviously yeah. Chino's. Uh, it was nominated for costumes and and I believe cinematography. Yeah. Um, and the biggest thing was it was nominated for best supporting actor for Al Pacino himself. <clears throat> like, I guess they were trying to get him something, but I looked up what he had in order. He had four straight Best Actor nominations from in the middle of the 70s for Godfather and, and, and Dog Day Afternoon and stuff. But then there was a gap until right now. And then it seemed like they really wanted to try and finally get him his Oscar. So they gave it to this and then sent to a woman. Finally, he won. So it's, it's just interesting. You would never expect like this to get nominated for an Oscar. And it had the second yeah. most nominations that year. Yeah, and I think oh. this was him coming off of a hiatus that he took after that horrible movie Revolution, mm -hmm. which was a huge box office bomb. Around the late 80s, um, Al Pacino, we don't think of it now, but back then he kind of hit a career slump. He had movies like that, Bobby Deerfield, Author, Author, just I don't a know lot of dreck. Yeah, I didn't know Revolution until I looked up what his Oscars were and saw that there was a gap at all. I, I was like, wait, I didn't even notice mm -hmm. looking at his filmography all my life that he had a five-year hiatus. So it's kind of like uh, DiCaprio after winning his Oscar, he's just kind of disappeared. 
that was I mean, he did Hollywood yeah. last year, but and that wasn't a bad gap. Right. Um, and well, the one other Oscar they won, they won three, which had the record for comic book films until Black Panther tied it. Um, they won Best Original Song, which is how Stephen Sondheim is one award away from an EGOT. Uh, that's how he has his Oscar. I believe it. Yeah, apparently he also like he couldn't get it at the ceremony because he had a broken ankle. And was, so the rumor goes that they they sent him a full-size chocolate Oscar statue with a broken leg. That's funny. But yeah, so that was a lot of like unexpected hit points for this movie. There's um, one other thing I, I noticed. Apparently, there's a longer cut, which I don't know what they need to add to it, but apparently it ran for two hours, 15 minutes. And this yeah, is the hour director's cut. Yeah, so I'm wondering what would be in that. More tests, more... More montages, probably. Yeah, <laughs> five more songs. Vogue. Yeah, there you go. More Madonna. Yeah. <clears throat> the choreography was pretty good too despite probably being uh, actual broadway performers they they tried they had to look like they didn't know what they were doing uh so that's even more impressive to try and look like you don't yeah. dance even mandy patankin's good at pantomiming playing yeah. the piano that yeah. was the other one my god yeah. mandy patankin who was like He's, he's an important character. I don't know. He's just totally. Yeah. He's got the best obnoxious laugh in the movie, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that didn't show up till like later on in the movie. Like, you thought <laughs> yeah. he was just like, a quiet dude, and then like yeah. it turns out he's a dirtbag. But then like you hear him laugh, and you're just like, oh, you're just a weird oh. dirtbag. Like, just oh. like the rest of them. It was like, wow. Yeah, that, that might be the most integral character because he looks like uh, Dick Van Dyke as innocent as they come, but he's just. Yeah, like, he's just machine. bad. Yeah. I think I forgot him because I didn't, you know, he's so Yeah. But like, quiet. you know, if if you if you're just a piano player in the club and you're just some uh schlep your whole life and then all of a sudden some no-faced person's like, "Hey, I got a deal for you and you're going to make a lot of money. You're going to you're going to be a crooked fella real yeah. quick." Yeah. And then like finally you're sitting at the table with the big boys, you're going to you're going to try to put your best ba- be- best laugh on, <laughs> but then your real laugh comes out, but you don't care. Very so weaselly. Out with the big boys and making that good money. Yeah. Does he go to the shootout in the end? I think so. Uh, I, think, I think it's before the yeah, it bridge. I don't think he dies when Forsyth gets shot up at the cars, but he might. I forget. It's pushed off a building or something. Yeah, I don't know where he did. A lot of people pushed off the stuff toward the end of the movie. Yeah. Like that was just their, their quick like solution to everything. Yeah, everyone the ending is kind of similar to Batman in a way. It's all somebody falls from a great height, the main villain. That's true. Hmm. Although well, the puppet in this looked a lot too. better than that digital sketch of whatever uh, Jack Nicholson was when he fell. In oh, yeah. But, uh, you, uh, I guess I guess we pretty much went through it. Do you have any final thoughts? Um, um, it's a childhood favorite of mine. I'm glad we got to talk about it. I've always loved it. Mm-hmm. There's not much more I can say. I, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird outlier in um, more based filmography. 
he does he hasn't done a lot of very uh flamboyant looking movies like this like you said reds mm-hmm. you, you wouldn't uh you wouldn't think this was the same director but it just shows how versatile he is mm-hmm. you know yeah it's it's batman in a yellow trench coat you know i i or where's batman and dick tracy in a black cape right exactly <laughs> Well, for someone who didn't know which one came first when watching the movie, it was right. <laughs> you know, it, I I got the same vibe, which is good. Um, but I I enjoyed it, and yeah. you know it was the amount of star power in this was definitely you know not expected, but like it's it's a gem. I think it's ripe for a reboot for sure, because you could have something that balances out all this dark Robert Pattinson Batman bullshit. So, hey, we, much as, I, as much as I'm looking forward to it, yeah. I want something as colorful as behind Jeff. Yeah. So yeah. um we need some I, we need some technicolor vampires. Yeah. Which is <laughs> how well, I you know when I was writing my notes, so that's how I described Madonna's character as like a technicolor vampire. Yeah, so like you could you could legitimately be like, hey, let's get the people who worked on Boardwalk Empire and have them work on this, and then just like, boom. Yeah. Or maybe not well, even like have every just like just right. enough people who worked on it, and then they're like, mm. there's how Scorsese got to do Dick Tracy. He just has Nucky and yeah, Steve. yeah. <laughs> Steve Buscemi um, is big boy. Oh, yeah. The the one thing I was thinking as this was going on about a half an hour in, I was like, I'm surprised this wasn't the thing that I got a tattoo of. I have a Rocketeer on my shoulder. And that was the first film I saw in theaters, which was only like a year later. So this is one of your favorites because you were, it probably was one of the first things you saw in theater, Corey. Yeah. So if I had been a little bit older, maybe this would be like the thing I'm obsessed with instead of the Rocketeer. Uh, I could easily see that same kind of vibes. It's funny it was also know, Disney, right? Um, I mean, this was supposed I, to be Disney, but then they give it to Touchstone. It's but. Touchstone, so yeah. it's Disney. Yeah. 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 Well, when Touchstone I was a kid uh, growing up, I had uh, two t shirts that uh, my mom got me that I would use as like pajama shirts, essentially. But like they were like um, medium or large, so meant for a bigger kid. So like it was kind of like for a little four or five year old, it was kind of like more like a pajama gown. Mm-hmm. And uh, the two shirts that I had was one with uh, Ghostbusters at the Ghostbusters logo, but they changed the uh, uh, ghost inside of it. So it looked more like Slimer, but it wasn't Slimer. It was just kind of like that weird design thing. The white one. But then the second shirt I had was Dick Tracy. Nice. And uh, get this, over the years, um, the Ghostbusters shirt got like ripped and tattered and just like worn out and just it died. I, I, I kept it till like maybe either late high school, mid college. But then like I got to the point where, like I had to trash it. Uh, but my Dick Tracy shirt, that lasted till like, um, I'm 33 now, it lasted till I was like 25, 26. Mm-hmm. Until like it finally started ripping apart. Like that was like, yeah, no, this is, this is it. It's like, it's goodbye. So like knowing that I've seen the movie so many, like I'm, uh, probably a handful of times as a kid. So like, on television blah 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 yada 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 but like what stuck with me was like the physical like t-shirt that i had the merch so the, yeah it? the merch so like uh <laughs> so like and i never really remember the movie all that well because again saw it when i was a really young kid but like the i had the merch and uh you know, i kind of 
yeah. watch this movie brought back other memories. So I was just like, oh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, whole, this, I mean, it's like the movie for me is kind of yeah. a little more. Yeah, this whole thing, the, the undiscovered decade stuff is just reminding me of my childhood. So yeah. it is a lot the of thing- fun to go back and see how we felt. Yeah. The thing with the merch was like, I I remember as a kid, like not knowing that Dick Tracy was a movie or a comic book. I thought it was like a brand. <laughs> <laughs> like like the and one and whatever but it was just like a dude in a detective outfit because i saw people with t-shirts all the time but it was always like silhouetted guy with with like you couldn't make out any facial features so i had no idea what it was um and going back to the t-shirt thing real quick apparently the world premiere um they didn't have actual ticket stubs like you could only go if you, they they gave out t-shirts that had a giant ticket with the dick tracy logo and just said hmm. mid one and that was how you got into the premiere that like a mid god so, i gotta go on ebay and find one of those right mm-hmm. well, they, they've started reprinting them now too oh um, cool. but to find an original one would be awesome yeah yeah i'm sure it's probably in good shape given to you know like what jimmy said about the, the quality of those articles of yeah. clothing if they're yeah. anything like Jimmy's shirt. Yeah, no, this lasted they were a long worn time. Off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's weird. Like, if if I still had it and I showed it to you right now. I remember it. Yeah. It, you, you'd you feel how thin it had gotten mm-hmm. right. over the years. Because, like, it's like, it's like, like, it got, like, you know, going through the wash and dryer so many times, it, like, getting stretched out. Because, and also, like, a little kid inside of a uh, big T-shirt going to bed. Of course, he's going to be wily and just cracked out on sugar and like ah so like i would just like take the shirt and like tuck my knees into it all the time or like what or even when i'm like watching uh a movie like jurassic park a hundred and thousand yeah a hundred thousand times like i just sit there and like tuck myself inside the shirt because it was so big on me and uh yeah no like if i still had it again like you'd feel how thin it was and like it lasted quite a while in other words this podcast is regression therapy for jimmy yeah <laughs> God. For all of us, really, but I'm glad something's helping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last night, uh, Tris and I were talking, and uh, what, uh, what, 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 what did we see last night? Uh, we didn't watch anything last night. Oh no, we just we just we were watched. at a bachelor party. Yeah, we were at a bachelor party. Uh, well, however, it came up. I was telling him, like, <laughs> yeah, however, it came up. I was telling him how like uh, the 1990s for us would be like the equivalent of like the boomers' yes. uh, 1950s. Yeah, which like, is like baby looking back to the 30s. Yeah. Right. Like the prosperous era, <laughs> the economy was booming. Mm-hmm. There was peace. Like there was no big fear of war. Well, a lot of bit of the Cold War and a uh, nuclear uh, war anxiety, but like we weren't in like actual traditional war. Yeah, well, look, this is, this is when they were signing the peace treaty to yeah. put Germany back together. Well, weirdly enough, that's why like the directors in the, the 30s and 40s were doing Westerns. Mm-hmm. They were they were looking back looking back to the 1880s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is the midnight in Paris. So everybody, I feel yeah, I feel like everybody has that golden age thinking of 30 years before. It always seems to be 30 years. Yeah, yeah. I love the 70s, even though it's right. dirty. Like I love stuff like French Connection or Alien, yeah. just because that's what cinema was. I think that's the perfect decade. But yeah. mm-hmm. which is interesting because like that would be like that would be our father's era yeah. growing up. So well, like that that would 30s. that would be obviously like where a clear influence on us growing up because mm-hmm. they, they were like 
tune in to it on television or they rent it from Blockbuster or something. And it's like, yeah, no, I grew up watching this when I was young or, or a teenager. And you sit there and like, oh, okay, this must be a good movie. And you watch yeah. it and then like you get enamored by it. It's like, yeah, thanks, Pops. Well, He's for George Lucas, what was Star Wars? It was Buck Rogers. Yeah, exactly. What was, what was Raiders of the Lost Ark? It was the serials from the 40s when they were going to right. the movies and they would show them before the feature. Yeah. It is, it is fun. I've been uh, telling dad about what we're watching, like what our focus is. And, and he'll like, where, where did I see that? So it's actually kind of like nostalgia yeah. for him as well. Just bringing it it's up. It's weird because I, I keep ticket stubs. I think you know this. I keep ticket mm-hmm. stubs from when I was going to the movies. Not this far back. I didn't like, start until... In my teenage years, I started then. keeping ticket stubs. And every time I look at them, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when and where I saw that. One yeah. time a day and everything. I mean, I could tell you which theater I saw Rocketeer in. I definitely saw this on TV, though. So, mm. uh, See, I think we all loved it, right? Yeah, I, I was thinking as we were going to set up this morning that I didn't like it as much as you guys, but talking about it, it's it's a fun movie anyway. Like, if if anything, I'd say uh, Madonna's advances. You know, he's going to end up with Tess, so that kind of dragged it down for me. I was just like, you, you're fighting a losing battle, so. Uh, maybe one less scene of that, but I mean, that's nitpicking at this point. So it was like Casablanca for kids. Yeah, I think <laughs> I liked it in the end, just talking With about nip it. slips. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what other films came out in June 1990? I hear you saw all of them. I saw all of them, yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, we also had Frankenhooker, which what? is. Yes. Wait, hold on a second. That was, now, that was other choice for Poster Boy. <laughs> yeah. So this is a, a horror comedy. And uh, Frank Henenlotter, I don't know if you got, have any of you guys seen uh, Basket Case or um, what's the other big one? Oh, um, Brain Damage. Any of those movies? Well, anyway, he's, he's, a, he's a cult filmmaker. And uh, this one is about this scientist who's girlfriend dies and then he puts together using parts from hookers that he gives super crack as one does right and uh the weird thing about this movie is that it got a huge endorsement from bill murray because as they were editing this he was doing quick change a couple (laughs) a couple offices down and he saw it and he loved it so he put he said if you're gonna see any movie this year you see Frankenhooker. That's the quote he put out. It's on yeah. the poster. Yeah. Uh, it's garbage. <laughs> I've seen it. It's terrible. Not surprised. It's, it's not even funny in a campy way. Um, Total Recall came out. Huge movie. There's a bunch of movies we're gonna. I'm gonna talk about right now that we could have easily had be the main focus of the show. Yeah, we could go into it if we wanted. I mean, did we all see Total Recall at all? I, I yeah. saw it about a decade I've, ago. I've never seen it. Yeah. It's, oh. It's, it's worth it if you if you haven't yeah. seen it. It's one of the it's, best uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger films. That well, I, I mean, I, a I lot of great it. movies. I I love it. So. No, it's a really good movie. Um, it does the this the uh, remake goes a little more into whether it's a simulation versus reality. This one is more uh, decadently violent and satirical which is what Paul Verhoeven does best as a matter of fact 
Um, there was also the sequel to RoboCop. Yeah, RoboCop 2. Yeah, and do you know who was directed by? No. Irvin Kushner. Oh. Who directed Empire, Empire Strikes Back. It's not as good as Empire Strikes Back, but I do think it is a bit underrated, though. It's not as good as the first one. I mean, the first one's a classic. But I think uh, it does continue the vein of very dark olive black humor. Uh, it goes off into too many subplots at the beginning until it finds its groove. I think the ending at the, the fight at the end is a little tiresome, but I think it's a solid sequel. Okay. You, you don't think so. A lot of negativity right before you're like, but it's so good. It is good. Okay. It's not, I'm just saying it's not as good as the first one. I hear it's kind of regressive because it like you solved his problems. He he killed off his killers and then and then he has to do it again, I guess. They, I don't know. No, no. They, they, they don't continue that. They go into a little bit of the identity crisis as to whether he still retains the memory of Murphy. Mm-hmm. But they conclude that was in the, la- the first 20 minutes of the movie. So, okay. Um, another sequel, another 48 Hours came out, which uh, is basically a carbon copy of the first movie. I, Hollywood legend has it that this was... Uh, originally a two and a half hour long movie that got severely cut down by the studio because they were worried that anything exceeding 90 minutes would be too long for the audience to keep their attention span so as you watch the movie you can tell there's stuff left on the cutting room floor especially a lot to do with the villain um but yeah it's if you've seen the first movie you've seen this and you've seen it done better in the first movie um Another sequel. This is the month of sequels. Uh, Gremlins 2. Uh, I personally think it's superior to the first one. Yeah, I actually agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ditto. Concurred. Do you remember, oh, did you watch Gremlins 2 with us, Jeff? I know Mike tried to show us all the two Gremlins. Yeah, I don't recall. Uh, but this, a- this one is a very um, self-deprecating meta sequel. Like They, they even... Um, at one point, make fun of the rules of how the Mogwais turn into gremlins mm-hmm. and all the loopholes that have to do with that. Um, yeah, I, I think this one's actually superlative to the first one, but yeah. I, I think maybe we're in the minority. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. This, this is one I kind of wanted to do, but Dick Tracy is the solid like franchise that we could have talked about. I, I think that this was a better choice to discuss for the podcast. But... Right. But this was my second choice. Um, the Days of Thunder came out, which I know you just saw. Yep, I just watched and, it. So um, I actually knew what you'd be talking about. I've, I've wanted to see the Tom Cruise films that, like, this is the one he met Nicole Kidman on, and then they went on and did uh, Far and Away. And right. so I've been curious about what it was like back then. I didn't know this cast was in this. Like, it, it has Robert Duvall and John C. Riley before he'd do Talladega Nights. Right. Uh, and um, Michael Rooker as his rival buddy, another driver in the NASCAR series. So, good cast. It's a fun movie. Um, <laughs> it's it's almost like a companion piece to Top Gun. It's not yeah, it's not that much different in terms of Top yeah. Gun. I also didn't realize it was Tony Scott who also did Top Gun. Right. So. It's got a lot of his flashy uh, direction in it. Yeah. 
Um, you're like second unit, like the driving scenes or like the, the flights in Top Gun. So. And then uh, the last movie before we get to uh, Poster Boy was I saw Betsy's Wedding, which I know you've seen. Yeah. Well, um, Alan, all the directorial efforts, um, literally just watched it for the podcast. It's a very middle brow, milk toast movie. Yeah. It has very a lot of forced pathos. The plot goes off in several different directions that have nothing to do with the wedding. Yeah. At, at one point, it becomes a gangster farce. I don't yeah. know why. He's trying to be a little Woody Allen, I think. Because Woody he is. Um, there's a couple lines in there that definitely have like could have had that Woody Allen delivery to them, but uh, it's not nearly as good. Yeah. Oh well. But, so. Uh, Poster boy. You ready? You ready, Jeff? Yep. Let me allow you to do this again. Yeah. There we go. Our favorite time. <laughs> why wouldn't do the main feature? Do we just want to get to this? Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is why people listen. <laughs> yeah. Even though they can't see it if they're listening. All right. <laughs> I love the way you photoshopped this. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, i can't wait to describe this okay all right here we go so there's an african-american family a gentleman is peeking through the door and by peeking i mean phasing through the door uh tipping his, his fedora and half of his briefcase at the three ladies that are just like, what are you? They're, they're super excited. Looks like it could be a wife and two daughters. Um, and I'm guessing it's a ghost thing. Um, but the way that you blurred everything out, it looks like it could just be a no face spinoff. Uh-huh. Well, it's the because of who the star is. Tracy. Yeah, do you know, uh, can you guess who the star is based on that? Based on that? No. Who um, who was big in the 90s? I'm I'm gonna take a wild guess here. I want to say Winston, but it's not. No. Nope. Oh, that would be cool. Ernie Hudson? You're Ernie Hudson. But I'm also I'm I'm hang on. Oh shit, is it Cosby? Let me skip ahead. I'm gonna give you the slogans that I blurred out. Good for you. He's been walking through doors. He's been falling through floors. He's been going through a lot lately, but he a lot lately, but he's still dead. (laughs) I'm all right. Now, well, hang on. Do, do I am I guessing the synopsis or am I guessing the title? Guess, right? guess the name first, and then we'll try to have you guess what. Actually. Okay. Uh, I mean, Ghost Dad. I don't. Oh my God! You can kind of see. Yeah. It's a ghost, and he's still dead. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of letters in three. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, you'll notice before you discuss the synopsis, the director at the bottom of this poster. No. Sydney Poitier. 
I want him to guess that. Oh, you would never guess. I'm surprised. Yeah, you're right. I would. I would never. I would never guess. Just the image alone. Yeah. I'm. Jeff, you've never seen Ghost Dad, right? I have not. Oh, okay. That's that's oh, Jimmy, you've seen it too. Before we picked it, I got got a little worried. I knew he hadn't seen it. Um. So, what do you think this is about? Uh. Comedy sequel to Death of a Salesman. <laughs> That'd be good. Be better than what we got. Like, it's just, I'm sure the dad dies in some accident, possibly insurance related, and then haunts the house and has, oh my God, there's his face. Um, and has to. <laughs> he did. He. he just haunts his family and they're kind of okay with it at first but then he still like interrupts all dad like and is just like trying he's to got jello pudding in that briefcase watch out right exactly <laughs> I almost pulling out the side. <laughs> but he's just trying to like be a dad and they're like no but you're dead we need to move on and that's his whole dynamic and then there's going to be like a heartfelt scene at some point where like he comes to terms with the fact that he's no longer alive and needs to let them move on but for the most part, it's just slapstick with him like closing doors and fucking with them. Are we sure that Jeff didn't write the script for this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Because he almost has it beat for beat. Really? Oh. Yeah. I think it, it's been a long time since I saw this. I remember being horrible even as a kid. But uh, Jimmy, you've seen it? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, uh... I think he dies, his car goes off a bridge. Jesus. Okay. It was a car accident. Jeez. And um, he's resurrected as a ghost. I'm not, I don't exactly, not sure why. I, something Did to Bill do Cosby's with, Beetlejuice? I wish. I mean, he is in real life. We know that. <laughs> uh, this is the alternate poster. Yeah, I wanted you to read this slogan, Jeff. As you've never seen him before, invisible. If only. At one point, he's wearing a white sheet that almost <laughs> looks like a he's a KKK member. No, that's kind of funny. Oh, Bill, that's that was the worst thing he did for a while. No, he also <laughs> did Leonard Part Six. True. Bill Cosby didn't have a good track record with picking movies, well, along with other things, mm-hmm. but. Picking movie vehicles for himself. What did what did you think of the movie when you saw it, Jim? Me? Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't remember. I just remember it was on and like uh, it, it was there. I, I didn't not like it. Um, it's atrocious. But like I definitely forgot it was a thing until like someone would make a ghost dad joke or talk about Bill Cosby and then it was like ah. Uh, because like that inevitably inevitably would come up would be Ghost Adam and all his other previous works. So yeah, because that's the biggest joke about him now. Yeah. So like, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, not, it's, I mean, it's a it's a comedy movie from you know the nineties. So like, now if anybody's wondering why Sidney Poitier would direct something like this, they did three movies together in the seventies. Really. Um, a piece of the action. Let's do it again. 
I forget what the other one's called. Uptown Saturday Night. What was it? Uptown Saturday Night. They play con men. And uh, I guess they had an established relationship and maybe, I guess, Cosby must have asked him, hey, you want to direct this movie? And uh, Sidney Poitier's like, yeah, I'm retired. I got nothing else to do, so. It's a shame. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. Um, so we are pretty much done with everything else. Uh, I actually had a special request this time for picks of the month because uh generally what we're doing is we're trying to compact the recording so it's not like we've seen a lot in between uh so we may not always do like what's actually out right now it's november 2020 but um i was thinking in light of one of our favorite actors passing away just a week and a half uh sean connery i was going to ask the three of you what your favorite sean connery movie is James on Zardoz. You really put me on the spot now. I got to think yeah, of. Yeah, that's why I wanted Hard. to do it. Like... Uh, Dragonheart. Dragonheart, yeah? Yeah, I don't know. We, we got to pick one, huh? Yeah, I know. That's why it's tough. Because um, I got three in my mind that I would definitely put up there. We're going to watch that now. You said uh, Zardoz. I did yeah. say Zardoz. Your which I remember watching in some sort of whacked out fever dream several times. Oh, I was about to say, you remember that? Like, if we're playing a drinking game, that movie is dangerous. Yeah. Which we did. Was, I almost died that night. It was. Mm -hmm. um, Man who would be king? Man who would be king, yeah? Yeah, that or the Untouchables. But yeah. That's what I was going to go with, Untouchables. So I guess I'll go with Man Would we'll Be King so we all have different ones. Yeah. yeah the Untouchables Finding Forrester. Because it's, it's a good one. But I didn't expect him to be, to steal the movie. I think that's why he wins the Oscar. Because it's Kevin Costner's film and it's Sean Connery that takes it over. Right. What were you saying, Jeff? Oh, no, I was also thrown off Finding Forrester. Oh, another one I haven't seen. I was gonna say I could give you a couple uh, underrated movies from him. Mm -hmm. There's uh, I like Zardoz. In fact, I wrote an article on the website if anybody wants to. Okay. But um, the Presidio is pretty mm -hmm. good. It's fun. Tony Scott. Outland. No, it was Peter Himes. Oh, Peter Himes. We were talking about Peter Himes the other day. That's why. Yeah. Uh, and also Outland with Peter Himes. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the Hill is great. I don't know that. Uh, Sidney Lumet. It's black and white. It's one of his first film roles. Um, see, I don't want to pick any of the Bond movies. Well, what would you say was your favorite of the Bond films? I don't know if you two, Jimmy and Jeff, have seen all the Bond films, but I've seen I at least know. all of Sean Connery's. From Russia with Love. Okay. I'd go with Goldfinger. I know it's it's the easy choice, but... Like it's it's he's his most suave. I think I like the fight in From Russia with Love with Robert Shaw the best. That's I think that's the best fight scene with Connery. Yeah. You only live uh, twice is underrated, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Um I think so is uh, the unofficial Bond movie, Never Say Never Again. Yeah. I technically haven't seen that one. That's the one Sean Connery bond. Mm. 
Well, if you see Thunderball, you technically saw it because it's the same plot, but that's kind of why I put it off. It's, so. I think it's worth seeing. Irving Kushner again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we didn't even talk about the fact that he's Indiana Jones' father either. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's not that's not my favorite performance he gives, but I say movie. I'm underwhelmed by yeah. that movie. Last Crusade is the best one, man. Well, uh, I guess that's pretty much it for this month. I hope uh, if you're listening to this and uh, are intrigued about Dick Tracy, we didn't spoil it all for you, but uh, maybe you're listening to this after checking it out because we did it. Um, we spoil remember, movies all the time here, so it's your own fault. Um, yeah, it's 30 years behind, buddy. Yeah. Plus, plus plus well, this is Jeff's first time seeing it. So um remember to rate and subscribe us on itunes and all our other uh locations uh i hope you've been enjoying our journey through the undiscovered decade and uh we're not even sure what we're doing next month so uh we're going to talk about that after we stop recording so hope hope you enjoyed dick tracy outro music